Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. Postdoc transformation. If you are looking for a job, you need to know the recruiter's perspective. Welcome to this postdoc transformation show episode. We proudly present Beth Horsley from the UK, who is a partner at Page Executive, the executive search division of Page Group. Page Group changes lives by creating opportunities for people to reach their potential, and this includes their clients, candidates, and employees. We discuss Beth Horsley's journey into recruitment and her role at Page Executive, which will be interesting for my bachelor and master students aiming to work in HR. For our postdoc transformers, this episode is a gem as she elucidates the job search process. She also discusses the significance of a doctor title in business, the future outlook for candidates, and some practical job search tips for anyone looking for a new role. She highlights how technology and AI are affecting recruitments and how networking can boost job opportunities. Invest in your postdoc transformation. Welcome to the seasonal show for scientists leaping into business. In every sponsored episode, we are happy to recommend employers of choice for you. Make sure to check your readiness to leave out of science with us for free as linked in the show notes. For your career transition, we offer customized career transition e-courses and memberships also at graduate schools all over the world. Maybe yours too. And if your university isn't yet our customer, enroll in your free email course for career transition made simple as linked in the show notes. I'm your host, Professor Dr. Elena Sui Winkles, with my team who is rooting for you. And let's build your postdoc transformation with this episode. So without further ado, I would love to welcome you to the show. I'm so glad to have you here on the show, Beth. As I already said, you are a partner at Page Executive Technology and based in the UK. So what exactly is a partner at Page Executive doing? Okay, yeah, so thank you. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for inviting me on the show. I've been working at Page Executive now for seven years. I've been in recruitment for over 20 years. So after I graduated, I went straight into recruitment. I'm now a partner within the Page Executive Technology business. Yeah, broadly, we're a headhunter. So we get approached by clients to help them recruit on their C-suite level on their board and on their non-executive board. Most probably my listeners, the postdoc transformers aren't familiar with the term C-suite. Can you explain that a little bit? Of course, yes. Yeah. So across the C-suite, you have the CEO, the CFO, the CIO, CTO, CHRO. So all of the heads of the business who decide strategically what the future of the business is. Yeah, I haven't shared that yet, but I'm a professor for industrial and occupation psychology. So I'm hoping that my bachelor and master students are also listening to this yeah. because most of them are looking into a career in HR and recruiting, ah. I hope that they will also listen to at least the first part of this interview because that is relevant for my bachelor and master students as well. What's your motivation to be a matchmaker, so to speak, between companies and candidates? 
Sure. I graduated in linguistics, so I did a degree in the language of science, which of course is a million miles away from what I ended up doing. I kind of fell into recruitment. I've always loved people, been deeply fascinated by people, behaviours. I did a major in psychology at university, deeply interested in behaviours and psychologies of people. I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my degree. I knew that I loved people and I wanted to work with people and, and to support people. So I was actually working through an agency when I graduated in a, a clerical role. And when I was made redundant from that role, the agency actually said, would you like to come and work for us? So that was a deco who are a global recruitment business. And I worked there for a couple of years and, and then wanted to progress. So I ended up then for the next 13 years working in what we call teak agency, which is very much a small company niche specialist recruitment. So I did a lot of executive medical sales recruitments in that time. And then I moved to Page in 2017 and started with them placing executive and C-suite level HR directors. Um, and I did that for six years. And, I, and then I moved into technology last year where I was promoted to partner. So I've had a, quite a long journey with Page. I think my main motivation is I'm very ambitious and very success orientated. I love working with people. I understand how people tick and I like finding next, their next role and I like making sure that business is successful moving forward. Wow, I wasn't aware of that because now I will also share this episode with a lot of my former colleagues at Accenture because I was also working at Accenture at IT Strategy. Okay. So I probably know a couple of people who are interested in the UK. Absolutely. Yeah, please, please okay. do. And once you have determined your readiness to leap and want to transition into business or industries, then you can enroll in your free email course with 10 actionable bingeable email lessons until you start your job in business. You'll get 10 emails like this. Number one, how to leap out of science. Number two, how to build your sustainable LinkedIn profile. Number three, how to read social media and network. Number four, how to research your favorite jobs and employers. Number five, how to do informational interviews to get insights. Number six, how to create your customized applications with ChatGPT. Number seven, how to prepare your thesis from a business point of view. Number eight, how to apply to your favorite employers. Number nine, how to choose the right job offer. Number 10, how to prepare for your new job. All right, so the process of matchmaking, can you also look into that or share the journey of a candidate in the sense of where does it start? Is there a typical procedure? Is there a timeline from start to finish, um, from getting a mandate by a company until you can place a candidate? So what sure. are things that are interesting for my postdoc transformers, scientists sleeping into business? Of course, I can go through that process with you. Generally, for a search, you know, it can take anywhere from between eight to 12 to 15 weeks, depending on the level of the role, the, the scope of the role, who is involved in the decision making in the role, how many interviews they want, how quickly do they want this person to start. It can be a lengthy process. With PAGE, our processes tend to take anywhere between eight and 12 weeks. That's the, the average. Initially, we receive the mandate from the clients. 
We generally tend to build relationships with these people over a number of years. We help them um, over a number of years to support in, in recruiting uh, C-suite. We engage our in-house research team. Page Executive even are very lucky to have a, an in-house research team who support us with recruiting for these mandates. So generally, we will go and meet with the clients and discuss the job. And I will take a member of our research team along with me to discuss the kind of person they're looking for, go through the job spec, go through any pitfall or anything like we might find, you know, on the geography of the role, you know, everything, really bottom out everything. Talk about the market conditions, what kind of person, what kind of background are they looking for for this role? So meet with the client, talk through the brief, make sure we get everything bottomed out. And at that point, we usually discuss timelines and when they would like to have this person in place and then work back from there. So the first stage for the candidate, from a candidate perspective, is that the in-house research team or myself will reach out to that person and ask them if they would like to be have a conversation about this particular that, we, that we're working on. So they will get an introduction from either myself or one of the research team. And from there on, we will talk them through the brief, have an interview with them, discuss them in, in a lot of detail. They will also receive a candidate briefing pack from us, which is usually, you know, a, a, a quite a lengthy document, which details everything about the role and usually has we like to have an introduction from the CEO in there as well to give the candidate a bit more information about the company we have online um, candidate briefing packs where they sometimes we have an introduction video from the client to talk to them about the role because the initial contact is absolutely vital because obviously it marks the whole process and it, it flavors the whole process for the candidate then we will keep in touch with that candidate and usually the research phase takes between four and six weeks we, over that time we developed a long list first of all for the client which could be up to 200 people for that client to go through and see if there's anybody in there that they know or that they would like to take through and then from there we form what's called a short list so the short list is usually between three and five people and that short list is then presented to the client in a meeting again myself my research colleague we also have a very effective EDI team who join us on the pitch, join us on the shortlisting call and make sure that from an equality, diversity and inclusion perspective, we're hitting the mark, you know, that we are absolutely making sure that it is a fair process across the board. Um, and then obviously keep in touch with the candidate at this stage. I personally like to have the, the first stage interview quite quickly after that shortlisting stage, because, you know, if you can imagine it from the candidate's perspective, they might have been waiting by this point you know for four weeks to have an interview and that and that can be a long time to keep the candidate interested to keep the candidate engaged i always advise clients to interview pretty quickly after that shortlisting stage usually that week or, or the week after if needs be and from there on in the process tends to be quite quick so first to third stage interview tends to go quite quick if they have five people at first stage interview we aim to have three people at final interview, you know, and kind of go from that perspective. You know, the process ends at 12 weeks and hopefully we have that person in place who we're offering the role to. I personally have a 100% success rate on my retained roles. Uh, we do get there in the end with regards to the right candidate for the client and the right job for the right candidate, obviously. Oh, that was informative on so many levels because first and foremost, this was really great as a realistic glimpse into how you work and I will urge my own master and bachelor students to listen to that episode mm -hmm. at least to this chapter. And did you know that we offer deep dive e-course workshops and memberships at graduate schools maybe also at yours in the future?
ask your graduate school coordinator whether they want to book my services so that I can deliver them to you 24-7, 365 on your mobile device. And even better, if you get us paid by your grad school, we will pay you 50% recurring sales commissions. So you will earn money with us as we help you and your PhD besties to transition into business. We can build a poster transformation together. Woohoo! And then for my scientists who are leaping into business, two questions popped up. Yeah. And I was listening. One is research. So the research you were referring to is that, what is it exactly? Because sure, the research sorry. term yeah. is for a scientist. It's a bit different. Yeah, a, bit, of a, course. a big difference, yes. Yeah, of course. So, you know, as I mentioned, we're very lucky at Page Executives to have our research team. And these people are normally ex-recruiters who have wanted to go into a less demanding maybe role, but one where they can still contribute to the business and find the right people for our searchers. So these people work very, very hard uh, on the front line with us and search for the candidates. So they, they are they are matchmaking alongside us and finding those candidates alongside us for the role. And where do they find them or where are they looking? Obviously, Page Group are a huge global business. We've been going in the UK for 50 years now. So our database is, is vast and detailed and we have a lot of people in there who we keep in touch with, obviously. So our database is, is the first port of call. If you go to another recruiter, you might get a, a collection of people who are um, just looking for work. We can show our client the whole market and really map where they're going to get this person from and what kind of person they're looking for. So we use our resources to be able to build a picture of how we're going to be able to find that person for our client. Obviously, the beauty of going to an organisation like Page Executives, it, you know, I've got over 20 years experience. I know a lot of people. Our, our network is huge. We, from an, an EDNI perspective, we have access to a huge network of people who aren't on the job market or who aren't even looking on the job market. Our researchers have special LinkedIn licenses where we approach people. Wow. Thank you so much for having this <laughs> runway because I've been praying and preaching that my students should always go on LinkedIn and have yeah. a profile and have it ready to be visited so that they can be found even when they're not looking and that it's welcoming. Sure. LinkedIn is a huge resource and we can't underestimate how successful it is. The reliance on LinkedIn is, is massive. So anything that your students can do to up their game in terms of making sure that they have an up-to-date profile is, is extremely useful. You were talking about the database and I would love to dive into that at the end of the episode mm -hmm. so that we can have an understanding who should be trying to get into your database. I just want to make the connection between you are looking for C-suite levels and obviously as a scientist who is leaping into business, at least for me, I would have never thought of going into the upper level, but instead I would be looking for entry level or yeah. intermediate levels or something like that. And also there's another thing that I want to ask for my students, also for the postdoc transformers who are listening. We'll talk about the database later, but who pays for that? Is that a service the candidates also pay? The candidate will never pay to get on our database. It is a completely free service for the candidate. But page executive are search-led, so we don't tend to approach people unless we've got a search 
that we are actually actively working on. So, you know, our database is a little bit, it works a little bit differently because we won't necessarily go out to these people unless we've got something to talk to them about, if, if that makes sense. Within page group, we've also got page personnel, page outsourcing, page consulting, Michael Page, who, you know, work on a more contingent basis and a retained basis with our clients. That would be, if you're looking for more of an entry level position, we can help you from that perspective as well, give you some advice, have your CV on the database for those roles that might come up. From episode one and counting, I have proudly hosted all our Postdoc Transformation Show episodes on Podbean. As a former IT strategy consultant, I have high requirements on my tech stack, and Podbean is my perfect fit for a podcast host. If you want to create your own individual podcast or one for, you know, internal upskilling and communications within a company, DM or email me Podbean so I can share my experience and consult you. You can also use my affiliate links for perks, launching your own podcast with Podbean. Okay, that's cool. I would love to switch gears in this second chapter of the episode and talk about your perspective on the current and future job market for candidates with a doctor title, but who have no substantial experience yet. Sure. So what's your take on that? Sure. So the market is forever changing. Right? That's the first thing to say. I can only speak for the UK because I live and work in the UK. It's it's currently a, quite a slow market in the UK due to a variety of different reasons, some global, some local uh, reasons, politics. But obviously the global landscape has been changing rapidly over the past couple of years. A couple of years ago, it was a particularly fast-paced market and things were going quite quickly. My prediction would be that for next year in the UK, it will improve, but probably quite slowly. After the pandemic, we had a bumper couple of years. It was a really, a really busy time for us. We call it a candidate-driven market when it's like that. So, you know, candidates can apply for a job and more or less get it because clients are in demand for specialist niche experience. We're in a client-driven market at the moment where a client can advertise a role and have 200 applications to that role if they're doing it directly themselves and get the right person for them because there are a lot of candidates who are looking, there aren't a lot of clients who are looking to place those candidates in their companies. So, but it it ebbs and wanes, it changes all the time. I think the future, candidates with a doctor title are always going to be in high demand in some industries or in some companies. There are some roles that people with a doctor title only they can do you know so I think from that perspective there's there's always going to be a need for people who have got that experience and that kind of academic background I think at the moment it is hard for everybody across the board whether you are specialist or a generalist it is hard for everybody because in the UK businesses aren't recruiting as, as busily as they were perhaps in the last 12 months um but I think that you know I think that things will improve but slowly in the UK okay thank you for this outlook and when you look into the industries, are there any industries that have the biggest demand? I mean, of course, I know that you are a partner at Page Executive and focusing on technology, IT, but maybe you also know from your colleagues, left sure. and right, whether they have bigger demands than others. Sure, sure. We tend to work across industry, but we specialize in placing senior IT level people. So I work across a number of different industries, um, as do my colleagues, but we we specialise in placing CIOs and CTOs. The tech industry, for example, it mirrored globally what was going on the first couple of years after the pandemic. The tech industry absolutely skyrocketed, you know, 
Google, Microsoft were hiring a lot of people. They were on a real recruitment drive. And then in, in 2023, globally, they have they have really scaled back and made a lot of redundancies. And that has been mirrored across a number of different industries. Thinking purely for people with a doctor title, technology is a really exciting, innovative place to be. You know, with the advent of data and AI this year, it's going to be huge. So there is going to be an awful lot of opportunity within technology. I also think manufacturing will be an area of massive growth. And any areas where, and any organisations who are going to be using AI effectively to grow their businesses, they're going to need people who have got experience and expertise in technology to be able to help them on their journey. And I, you know, and even if you've got a doctor title from another another discipline, HR, you know, being one of them, it's an area that I used to work in. You can only not recruit for people who've got a specific set of skills for so long, right? So in order to grow your organization and in order to be more commercial, you do need to hire the right people to your organization. So people with a doctor title, you know, are going to be in demand. It just depends on which industries are going to skyrocket next year really okay uh, there were a couple of interesting aspects that you shared about the big data and ai and i'm very glad that most of the scientists who are working as quantitative researchers are actually great on data literacy yeah. and all these things so statistics and using r and you know having learned a programming language or a coding language probably makes it easier to look into machine learning, AI, and sort of like understand the intricacies that yeah. building a database, training a database, having an ethical standpoint so yes. speak, in the sense of what kind of data do we need also from your EDI uh, perspective, like mm. equality, diversity, yeah. and inclusion, right? Mm. So of course, I, I yeah. would say that even psychologists, like, you and I, yeah. I mean, I was always working in IT. Yeah. I, I have always stayed within IT. Mm -hmm. So IT management, IT analysts, something like that, IT strategy. Yeah, 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 so yeah. It wasn't the hard tech that I had to be able to sort of like master, but instead I was always the human interface between all the other business areas and technology or yeah. IT architecture or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, that's the central point to this. You need people who understand the technology, but can give it a human voice and can apply it to businesses and absolutely make it sing for the people who are looking to make money. <laughs> you know, um, it's absolutely essential. Yes, this is also going back to this thing of commercialization, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's so important to have business acumen and to understand if it's not moving the needle in business, then mm -hmm. obviously it's not needed. And yeah. these are hard times for companies as well. Yes. So they are yeah, looking right. for spending money, yes, but to invest smartly and strategically mm -hmm. into to the workforce who will be able to contribute and not mm -hmm. to add on more ways. But instead, one has to strategically double down on what's mm -hmm. working in the future for them. Mm, yeah, and that perspective totally. taking is really important for a scientist leaping into business. Yeah, so not very. to think from their own perspective, but from the company's perspective, they are yeah. they are eager to join. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And now it's time to thank company ABC, who sponsors this episode of the Postdoc Transformation Show. I would now be reading the company's answers to one of six bold questions so that you can choose to apply. For example, number one, describe your most valuable experts versus leaders in your company. Have they typically earned a doctor title? Number two, 
For whichever company roles or units do you encourage somebody with a doctor title to apply? Number three, how would you describe your organizational culture in which your most valuable experts and leaders thrive in? To nominate an employer of choice so that we can ask our informative bold questions, let us know via the click on the link. If you are a company representative, like in recruiting and employer branding, and now you want your company to be highlighted as an employer of choice for our audience, you can become a sponsor of a dedicated Poster Transformation Show episode. Just click on the link in the show notes. And now back to the Poster Transformation episode. All right, so the next question that I have for you is, because we were already a little bit talking about the profiles that your researchers are looking for. So what kind of profiles are easily placed? Yeah, it's a really good question. <clears throat> the difficulty with a CV, for example, is you can see what person's experience is. You can see where they've worked, you know, what their achievements are, but you can't see who they are. Unless you have a conversation with that person, you can't see how they are motivated and what they want to do. So <clears throat> the CV or the profile on LinkedIn is a first step. What our researchers generally look for, you know, especially at the level that I'm recruiting at, is, you know, tenure in a C-level role and achievements in that role, you know. So somebody who has transformed the landscape where they've been, somebody with a progressive CV, there's nothing wrong with staying in a business for a long period of time. As long as that person has progressed in that business, we like to see people who have you know, moved up a company um, and progressed their career. But when we've long listed that person and we want to speak to them, we invite them on a call, on a Teams call or, or on the telephone. Teams calls are usually best or face-to-face and, and really get to know that person. You know, ask them questions about their career, ask them questions about how they are personally motivated. And you can really get a sense. The researchers who work with Page Executive used to be recruiters themselves. They tend to know what is going to be right for that organisation. They've met the client because we've already been on the briefing call with the client. They know what that client's looking for. So from a holistic perspective, they can speak to that person and see if they're a match for what this company is trying to do. You, know, you can only really get a sense of that when you get the person on the phone. You can see the whites of their eyes or you can have a conversation with them about what they want, what their motivations are. That's cool. That actually is also giving me an opportunity to share with my students, the bachelor and master students, so that they have an understanding of their own career progression when they move into HR and want to have a front-facing role yeah. one day. I mean, yeah. for whatever reason they want. Okay, so thank you for that, Beth. And now I would love to take it back to candidates that are easily replaceable versus scientists leaping into business fresh from the bin from academia, grad schools. What are positive and negative differences that you have maybe experienced or maybe you have heard from your colleagues? Candidates with experience in data are always going to be in high demand, right? So people who have got some business acumen, I mean, you mentioned Accenture, you know, people who got their doctorates and then went to work for a big organisation who can give them that commerciality, give them that strategic experience, are always going to be in high demand than people who haven't done that. Because the market's tough, right? If a client can go out there and get exactly what they're looking for, then they're not going to expand that pool to look at people who perhaps don't meet that shortlist. So the more experience that you can arm yourself with, either, you know, working 
whatever experience you can get working from the bottom up in an organization like Accenture, any of the big five, actually, at any any big companies is going to give you that that bench strength that, that you need to be able to put yourself up against those other people that are going to be going for the same role. Okay, thank you for this gift. <laughs> Because I actually always tell my students that if you don't know in what industry you want to be working, yeah. you should think of consulting because yes. this is giving you a great opportunity to learn many industries yeah. and in many roles within the project, you know, assignments, so to speak. They can be half a year, a year long, two years in different countries, but also in different roles. So this is a great sort of like playground to mm. get up to speed, especially when you have no business acumen. Yeah. But obviously, consulting is a great place to go to as a scientist leaping into business. Hey, Postdoc Transformer, are you curious to ask professors, principal investigators, visiting scientists, postdocs, PhD students, and candidates some in-depth life and career guiding questions? But if it's cringe, so you end up not asking? Buy our Postdoc Transformation card game to have more fun and valuable insights in your journal club, lab, and mentoring meetings, lab rotations, during conferences, panels, and breaks at the Mensa. You'll get 10 intriguing mentoring questions per career level. So 10 for PhD students, 10 for postdocs, 10 for professors, 10 for parental scientists, underprivileged and underrepresented and underserved scientists. Check them out with our discount coupon on the Postdoc Transformation shop linked on postdoctransformation.com. So Earlier in this episode, you were talking about mandates by companies and that leads to sort of like your research team looking into your database, but also on LinkedIn and everything like that. And I have the impression that those mandates aren't visibly posted on job boards. Am I correct? Or would you say that these are also jobs advertised on job boards? And then this next question from there on is shall scientists apply only to the job boards ads or is it like how can how should they go about in their job search? Sure. yeah it's a really good question job boards they're a bit of a help and a hindrance depending on the level that you're recruiting for it you need to just be mindful of, of why they're being advertised i guess at our level we do advertise sometimes our clients will ask for a special advertising package so if it's a job that they would like to be advertised for example if it's a job within the charity sector if they want to have it advertised on the specific charity job boards we can do that for them so yeah we do put together specific advertising packages for our clients you know if it's confidential brief then obviously it's not advertised we just use our search team to bypass that but in michael page absolutely they advertise 95% of their job. The confidential ones, again, they, they would never advertise, but they, they, they advertise a lot more of their job. So sometimes you can't avoid, avoid job boards. But if it's a job that's been advertised through an agency, my advice would be to do some research if you're applying for that role and, and see if you can contact the recruiter or the hiring manager directly because nine times out of ten, especially at the moment because it's a really job short market, we are getting you know hundreds of applications through for 
jobs that we are working on. And again, without a face or a voice to that job advert, you can get lost. So my advice, if you can find out who the recruiter or the hiring, or the talent partner or the hiring manager that's recruiting for the role, maybe email them directly or, or contact them on LinkedIn, which is obviously a very easy way to contact somebody and, and maybe just say, you know, I know you'll probably be inundated with, with applications for this role. Here is my CV. You know, if you're interested, give me a call. Help yourself, do your own research and, and make sure that you are putting your best foot forward from that perspective. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Beth, for this encouragement, so to speak, and to be forward in the sense of not waiting for a job post to be posted instead of, you know, looking proactively and also follow companies that are potentially employers of choice yeah. or should be yours. Yeah. Okay, cool. So because now I'm talking to you, would you say that there is sort of like a robo recruiting or is artificial intelligence also disrupting the HR, the recruiting processes? It's a really good question. And I think at the moment, we're still all getting to grips with AI and how it can support us and how from an AD&I perspective and from a GDPR perspective in the UK, you know, data protection perspective, we need to make sure that it's being used in the right way. And I think I think most people are you know, a bit unsure as to what the pitfalls and the high points of using AI might be. But in the future, sure, AI will play a bigger part in recruitment. It's going to play a bigger part in every area of our lives, I think. We haven't seen the impact of it yet in our space. I can only speak for page executive. Our level, it's a lot more difficult to find that person who is absolutely right for that organization so we haven't really seen it disrupt our our spaces yet that i think that that will come how it will come and how it will happen i don't really have an answer for you right now i imagine that people are using ai to write job adverts uh, to write job specs on a website or a job board maybe ai is having some impact there in terms of scoring candidates okay that really is interesting on many levels because the scoring can also be misled in the sense yeah. of when you're looking for specific skill I'm in the sense of needs to have this and this and this then easily a scientist leaping into business can not on the radar yeah but again this is where networking maybe comes into play Absolutely. so my next question would be yeah. to bypass that you know potential falling out of the are there any tips that you can share with us so that this leaping into business can make themselves visible and yeah. sort of like promote themselves for roles that weren't on the radar? Yeah. But yeah. now that they have networked with HR recruiters, hiring managers, yeah. they can be visible yeah. on the human side. Yeah, it's all about networking, really. Our lives are built around networking. We get very little success without that human-to-human contact. I think in terms of building relationships, the people at the top of the business are always going to be the people who you want to impress. But, you know, often it's the recruiters, the talent acquisition directors, the people who work in the recruitment teams of the businesses, and obviously the agency recruiters are going to be recruiting for those roles that you need to know that you need to be networked across. If there's an organisation that you really want to work for, uh, and this applies to everybody, not just people with a doctor title, but everybody. If there's a particular company that you want to work for, contacting the HR director, the, the COO, the CEO, and in technology, the CIO, CTO. And they might pass your details to a recruiter, but at least then you have, you've done what you can and you've controlled the controllables from your perspective. That's great. And a follow-up question, because what you shared with me was so inspiring, is a very tactical and operational question in the sense of 
where do the people mingle? Ah, uh, yeah. A scientist should make themselves known, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. And it's a really good question. You know, since the pandemic, it's starting again now, but there's not been ton of this kind of thing going on. Events, industry-led events, recruitment events that are going on. If you're starting at the bottom and, and working your way up, you know, going to the graduate recruitment fairs, going to the places where these people are going to be is the best way forward. Make sure that you're networking effectively uh, with these people that is the best way forward. And, and recruiters as well, obviously, in the space that you want to get in are going to be really good contacts for you. Thank you, Beth, for giving us so many comprehensive answers in the sense of that I wasn't even expecting because that episode so far is so helpful for many target groups. But now I want to switch gears and sort of like cater the needs of the scientists or ex-scientists who have already leaped into business and are successful because I know that some of my listeners here are already advanced in their career and are thinking of, you know, either going back into academia, boomeranging back to become a professor at an applied university, just like I did, or they really want to move up the ladder and become DIO, CTO or whatever. So the ones in the middle. So do you think that a doctor title at that point in time is a booster for their career progression? Or is it like nice to have, but they don't have because you see people reach positions also without it. And it really doesn't matter anymore at that time and point. Okay. That's a re it's again, it's a really good question. And I think at the moment it's a client driven market. There are lots of candidates out there who are looking. A lot of it depends on the industry. It depends on the, the company itself. You know, you might be working for an organization who are willing to fund you or to fund your education as well. We have a lot of candidates. Their company will pay for or sponsor them to do an MBA for example, help them on that route to furthering their expertise across that platform. You get lots of these opportunities within education, within charity, within the not-for-profit sector. They, they want people with a doctor title to progress in their organisation, especially in education. But that's not so much seen in other industries. So I think it really does depend on what industry you work in, what area you want to work, where you, where you want to go with your career. Yeah, that really is a great answer because it really is depending on the what's in it for the company yeah to have a person with a doctor title at the top yeah for example i was also the executive coach for the leader whatever so then obviously my doctor title was of benefit for that yes. person because yeah. they said i even have a coach with a doctor title and yeah. you just have a coach without one <laughs> So it's sort of like, it depends on the situation, yeah. whether the doctor title will be beneficial or not. So for example, yeah. in my cases, I was even able to have a signing bonus because of a head doctor. Yes. And yeah. So, yeah. And that yeah. was also a time where it was a high demand. So knowing what you are able to contribute and to sort of like put that also as a foot forward instead of like hiding the doctor, but mm. also coming from a place of being humble as well in the sense of when it's not needed then don't boast about it yeah totally because otherwise it will be intimidating knowing to balance so that the other party will benefit most instead yeah. of having our misconceptions yeah. or fears or something yeah. like that yeah totally have you found this episode so far helpful for yourself well maybe you can subscribe on youtube spotify apple podcast popping or wherever you get our show And also share this episode with your PhD bestie because that would encourage us to help the underprivileged 
underrepresented and underserved early career scientists leaping into business. This would also ensure that you don't miss a future episode. Also, our subscription and listening numbers are key for finding the right sponsors for our show so that we can help you for free. And now, back to the show. Thanks, all right, now I have a question that is coming from my community. You are working with candidates who may have a doctor title and have advanced in their business careers and talking about commercialization, etc. So do you see people with a doctor title being happy in business or do you see them missing something? Do you see a fit for them in the long term or do they have to sort of like change? Yeah, most people find purpose in what they want to do. I think in the end, most people do get there. What what I tend to see is it, it depends on the individual level of commerciality. It's all about understanding the connect between business, what they're looking to do and your role and how you can make that business succeed, right? And if you've got that, and if you understand that, and if it's something that really pushes your buttons, then you're going to be fulfilled, aren't you? I do meet a lot of people and I've got some friends who are PhD students or post PhD students who have never really got there in business because they've never really been satisfied with the commercial world and what that brings. I think that if you have a good grounding in a big global business that can offer you the chance to experience and, and how that actually, then I think it helps an awful lot. That would be my advice. Thank you for this advice. Like I said already, it's like, it might be sounding like tough love, but yeah. I would say it's, it's the more realistic one can go and enter the business world, the better it is. Yeah. And I had some episodes on fears and misconceptions on either the candidate sides, but also on the company sides or recruiters could have some misconceptions and also, you know, question marks when screening a candidate. So it really is about, you know, being honest yeah. and whatever you expect yeah. and be yourself and yeah. otherwise it will be hard i mean i love being a consultant because it's like solving problems all the time and yeah. that's the same just translated into the business world yeah i never i always thought that i would hate sales and marketing and now i am what i'm yeah. doing today i mean yeah. Yeah. a lot of the things that i do rely heavily on the premise that I will market myself yeah. to opportunities. And mm. if I don't enjoy that, I'll be bad at it. And mm. being bad at a job is sort of like the recipe for non-progression and no career. Yes. So yeah. finding out what you like and then double down on what you like so that you can ask and get more opportunities to that will be helpful for you in the long run. But that really means that you find the right industry, you find the right company and yeah. the right role. Yeah. And that's where page executive, page group, page, page group. personal, yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, so Michael Page might be very helpful. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because they are probably the partner that can help you understand and maybe pass your profile to this company or not but yeah. have you in mind for another company because they see that you would be a better fit for another company. Yes, that's exactly it. You know, I love my job, but there are areas of my job that, that you know, I don't particularly like as much as other things. But in order to do well at the job, you have to do those things you don't like, but you have to be successful at those things as well. And if it's really not doing it for you, then it's knowing as well it's not right for you. 
I built my post of transformation as a digital business, and I chose Active Campaign to be the centerpiece of all my services like email course, podcast, newsletter, show notes, website, sales page, merch shop, forms, whatever it is, as needed. As a former IT strategy consultant, I have high requirements on my tech stack, and Active Campaign is a must have recommendation. I use it daily. If you want to create your own digital business with various lead magnets and funnel options, DM or email me Active Campaign so I can share my experience and consult you. You can also use my affiliate links for perks launching your own digital business. So, taken together, Beth, can you wrap up your take on what should a scientist leaping into business mindset be and why is that important? Okay. You know, in terms of a mindset, be positive, be optimistic, first what you what you want to achieve. These are all things for anybody going into a new role, the next role for themselves. You have to be commercially aware, have agility in thought and strategic mindset is everything, really. Know your audience, know the company that you're applying for, do a lot of research around the role that you want and, and perhaps whether they can offer you that. And go for it. Have a positive commercial strategic mindset is, I think, the best advice. Wow. And that really puts a bow on this episode because two days ago I recorded an episode with Dr. Emily Rosenthal. Oh, wow. She is based in the US. She just talked about business agility and yeah. strategic communication and the ability to sort of like talk to your target audience. And that will dovetail with what you just shared with us. And I also recommend my episodes on the future of work, but also on working out your future because no one else is doing the homework for you. You need mm -hmm. to do the research so that recruiters of companies can find you and place you well yeah. within the company. How can my listeners reach out to you or page executive or page group, depending on the different levels? I mean, we were talking about the databases. So is there anything that you can let us know how we can reach you? Yeah, sure. It's, we're a big global business. So we have a great website where you can apply to jobs directly and you can contact us through LinkedIn. I think it really does depend on the, the career level that you're specifically going in at. As I mentioned before, within Page Group, we have Page Personnel, Michael Page, Page Executive, Page Consulting, Page Outsourcing, depending on what you are looking for. There's going to be different routes in. My advice would be to go on our website. So it's www.pagegroup.com and have a look and see uh, where is going to be the best fit for you. From a page executive perspective, reaching out to us on LinkedIn is a, is a really good option. All of our consultant profiles are on the website and more easy to come. I think that would probably be the best place to start. Remember, you are a postdoc transformer. You are highly intelligent, well-educated, a bachelor, master, and maybe you have already your doctor under your belt, or you are a postdoc. You are internationally experienced, fluent in English, a leader and expert in your prior research field. You're resilient, brilliant in adaptation and problem solving. You are eager to bring in the transferable and monetizable skills needed in many companies to embrace the future and to become or remain an innovator in their markets. So dear postdoc transformers, if you do reach out to a person from the page group, then do me a favor 
and also make sure that they know that you have listened to this episode with Beth Horsley because this is really an episode that has primed you to be more knowledgeable about yourself. That makes sure that that sort of like tells the recruiter that you are already on the next level on your job search. All right. So thank you so much, Beth. Thank you so much for your time and for inviting me on the show. Do you want a transcript of our episode? And our episode sponsors answers to all six bold questions so that you can choose to apply. Do you want to nominate your potential employer of choice so that we can ask them our bold questions? For all of that, click on our links in our show notes and on our website, www.postdoctransformation.com. Remember to check your readiness to leap out of science and to enroll in our free email course, Career Transition Made Simple. Thanks for your attention. I'm Professor Dr. Elna Zoe Winkers, the host of your seasonal postdoc transformation show. Have you ever wondered how to make your grad school stand out in the crowded landscape of academia? Do you aim to attract the best master students from all over the world to learn from and work with your professors so that your research remains globally recognized and well-funded? Do you wish to repel bad applications which aren't tailored towards your grad school's research profile? Now, let's talk about a powerful branding tool, podcasts. They're a game changer for higher education institutions. As a professor, active on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, and a podcast host and producer of this postdoc transformation show, I'm here to encourage all the graduate school representatives to think beyond the conventional marketing mechanism. Instead of being one of many vendors at a time-limited grad school fair, why not create a podcast that showcases your grad school as the ultimate destination for the world's best master's students. Share inspiring and encouraging stories of your top PhD students, high-profile alumni, your faculty, and the incredible opportunities your grad school offers. A podcast can be a window into your school's vibrant community, its cutting-edge research, and unique experiences. And in times of AI-generated marketing material, a podcast with your academic leaders in real life is a very human and innovative way to attract prospective PhD students. You can inform them every day, everywhere, not just during the typical grad school application seasons. This would prepare your best candidates for the application. Even better, you can support and make your current PhD students and postdocs visible for the next career steps in academia or business. Remember, successful graduates elevate your grad school's reputation. So if you are a university chancellor, grad school dean, speaker, consider this. By launching a podcast for your grad school, you can elevate your grad school's brand and tell aspiring scientists and employers what makes your grad school the best choice with scalable, evergreen content. If you're interested, forward this to your marketing representative and get our list of 30 sample episode titles customizable for your grad school podcast and just enter an email address on my website, www.postdoctransformation.com as linked in the show notes. As a seasoned professor and podcaster, I'm also happy to strategize about how you can launch your grad school podcast on Podbean, the podcast hosting platform we use for the Postdoc Transformation Show, supporting scientists leaping 
into business. Postdoc transformation.